Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning to all of you at home. Um, we're having a fun time together, even though we are not all physically together. But it's it's good to worship, isn't it? And I would just like to say that um, I had no contact with the worship leaders, but it is so, before I got here, I mean, but it's so refreshing and always so encouraging because everything we just sang about is what I was going to preach this morning. So we actually could just go right to the close now, but we will, we will go ahead and, and open the word of God together. But isn't that comforting? The Holy Spirit is, is not an idea. The Holy Spirit is the Lord, and he is moving, he's active, he's prepared our hearts, even in worship, for what I feel like the Lord is going to speak to us today. Um, if you are at home, we are going to receive communion together. Today's the first Sunday of the month, Communion Sunday. And so if you're at home, um, go ahead and, and gather what you have at home, some bread, some juice, get, get your elements ready, and we will partake of the Lord's table together at the at the close of the message. Um, before we get going too far, I would like to introduce myself to you because some of you wonder who is this speaking to us today. My name is Mary Gotro, and I've actually been with you in worship many times, but usually it is my husband who is the preacher. And um, I, I think I've got a family picture maybe for, for us to see whoever's running the video. There's a picture of my family. Eli Gotro is my husband's name. I'm Mary. We've got two girls both of whom are married now, and we've got the world's most adorable grandchild. He's amazing. And um, one on the way, and any minute now. My daughter is, is right at the end of her pregnancy, so we'll have another grandbaby to love. And all you grandmas and grandpas out there, you were right. It is so amazing. It is, it is actually the most amazing thing I've experienced. Everyone should have grandkids first, and then, <laughs> then it would be. But but we're, we are um, actually missionaries that you support. This church has supported us for such a long time, and we thank you. Um, next week, October 13th, is a special day in my life. It's my 30th birthday, which those of you that just heard me say I have grandkids are like, hmm. <laughs> hmm. But what it is, is my 30th birthday in Christ. Because 30 years ago, I was a college student, and wonderful people just like you, sent a missionary, now I'm going to cry, I brought a tissue, sent a missionary to my campus to tell me about Jesus, and my life has never been the same. My husband had the same, same experience. The Lord saved us because people just like you send missionaries to tell real people the gospel, <laughs> and real people respond, and lives are changed, so thank you. Thank you for for supporting us as missionaries. We, we are still a part of Chi Alpha. We um, direct the South Texas, North Texas, and New Mexico districts of Chi Alpha. So we're kind of responsible for a lot of different campuses. If you have a son or a daughter, a grandson, granddaughter, someone that you love on a campus in Texas or New Mexico, please, please let me know. And we'll do our best to send someone to lovingly chase after them on their campus if they're the Chi Alpha group there. Please let us know. You can let your pastor know, and he knows how to get into contact with us. But thank you. Thank you for loving missions. Thank you for loving people. Thank you for loving Jesus. Let's, um, if you have your Bible today, we're going to look actually in two places. I think you can do this. I've, I've never heard anybody say you can't have two scriptures that you're preaching from. So we're going to look at two different places. First is Colossians 3. And then we'll be in Ephesians 2. 
We're going to talk today about being alive in Christ. We're going to talk about being alive. We sang about it, and I love that. But let's talk about what does it mean to be alive in Christ. Lord God, help us this morning to hear your word. God, make it alive in our hearts. Jesus, let it leap out off the page of our Bible into our hearts and propel us into action. We pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, we're in Colossians 3. It says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. We're alive in Christ. Those verses make me want to stand up and shout. This, this is a theme in Paul's writing. I wanted to read two different verses that talk about being alive in Christ because it's not just a little happenstance saying. It's something he wrote heavily about thematically. So you have to, what does it mean to be alive in Christ? Well, he shows us it's always best to look at it when you contrast what we, what else could we be? If we're not alive, then we're dead, right? We used to be dead in our sin. That's the human condition, dead in their sin. But since Jesus came, we can be alive. If we allow him into our heart as Lord, we are alive in Christ. All of this is so good, but listen. We are so easily lulled back to sleep. We're, we're so easily enticed into a stupor by all of the wickedness and evil we see in the world. It's, it kind of makes us feel impotent in a way that we can't do anything. So we just kind of huddle down. But hear me, we have an enemy who hates God. And he wants to steal and kill and destroy everyone that he can. And we all have a sinful nature, don't we? <laughs> Thank God, thank God Jesus is in our hearts and we, we have a new nature, but that sinful nature is always there trying to come back. We have to crucify it every day. Without Jesus in our lives, that sinful nature runs rampant, doesn't it? It does everything and ev anything it can to devour more and more and more. But hear me, Jesus lives. <laughs> He's alive. He is the victor. He is victorious over death and sin and the grave. We've, so hear me, church, we've got to stop living like poor, pitiful, helpless people who are just here to hold the fort, like keep the door shut and don't let anything bad in until Jesus comes back. We've got, we've got to stop living like that as the church. We are not dead. <laughs> we are alive. We're alive in Christ. He's called us to be world changers, right? Kingdom ambassadors, people who openly and unashamedly share the good news and hope and healing of Jesus Christ wherever we go. We've got to live like people who are not dead 
who are not useless, who are not hopeless. We've got to live like people who are alive in Christ because that is exactly what we are. I don't know if you know this. There's a deadly virus sweeping across the world. But I'm not talking about the one that's in the news every single day. I'm talking about a different one, and it's called sin. And it is devastating. It is entirely permeating every person on earth, the virus of sin, and it will kill you. There is, there is no doubt about that. There's, there's not any recovering from sin. But guess what? We know the cure. We know him personally. <laughs> we know the cure. His name is Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has conquered sin, the virus sin. So here today, I just want to talk really briefly about three different ways that our lives can reflect the fact that we are alive in Christ. There are so many, so many, but we'll just pick three. First of all, here's, here's one for us. How can we show the world that we, in fact, are alive in Christ? We can be faithful. And I want you to think of the word, when you hear the word faithful, I want you to think of two words, faithful, F-U-L-L. We are full of faith. <laughs> we are people who are full of faith. Do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do we know that he is faithful? and that he is kind, and that he is good, do we, do we trust him? Do we trust his character? Do we trust his word? We can far better understand what that word faithful means if we look at it contrasted with its opposite. What is the opposite of faithful? Yes, fearful. If we, if we do not have faith brimming up and spilling out of our life, we're generally full of fear instead. We lack trust. We lack hope. We lack vision. Let me tell you a story. When I was small, we went to Disney World. When I, was, I think I was four years old. I was because it was the bicentennial year. And um, there are a lot of wonderful things. I'm pretty tall. I'm almost six feet tall. There are a lot of wonderful things about being tall. But one not wonderful thing about being tall is that when you're a child, you are always tall enough to ride the ride. <laughs> And that is, that is not good when you are a feel, fearful person. So, you know, you have to be this tall to ride the ride. And when I was four, I was that tall. So here I go on, on the ride Space Mountain. Has anybody been there? And you've ridden this ride. So I was four. I, all I remember about that day is grabbing my father's thumb with all of my life and all of my strength. And hold, I just was terrified. It was the most terrifying day of my childhood. Riding that ride, it's dark, and you're, it feels like you're going like this, loop-de-loops. I don't think you really are, but it felt like that to my four-year-old self. And I thought, for sure, when we ran around the curb, I was going to fly out and into space and die. It was very terrifying. Until I went again to Disney World when I was 18. And we, it was one of those, you know, senior trip things. And a bunch of us were on that same ride. And it stopped in the middle of the ride. And something was wrong with the mechanism of the, of the ride. And so we stopped, and they turned on the lights. And do you know that Space Mountain probably could fit in this sanctuary? It is the smallest room, and it is just like a warehouse. It's it's not space. It's not terrifying. It was just a small thing, and you just 
kind of loop-de-loop. It's like a little kid roller coaster in a warehouse. And I, I was so amazed all those years. I had been so afraid of Space Mountain, and it wasn't scary at all. And my point today is, don't we walk around all the time full of fear, full of fear, when the whole time we can pretty much trust the creator who made this world, right? There's nothing, nothing that we should be afraid of because we know God, and he holds everything in his hand. The, the worst thing that can happen to us in life is death. And when you know where you're going, is that such a bad thing? <laughs> no, it's not such a bad thing. My fears lied to me as a little kid, and it's the same thing for a lot of us as Christians. We are afraid of flying off into who knows what, when in reality, we know who made us. We know who made this earth. We know who holds everything together. So let me ask, are we people who live in fear, colored by our perceptions, our false perceptions of the universe, of the world around us? Or are we people who live in faith, who actually affect the people around us, the people in our house, the people at our work, the people at our school? Does our faith affect them? Whose belief prevails in our homes, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods? Ours or no God? Whose faith is going to prevail? Let's live like people who believe that God is who he says he is. Let's live like people who believe that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Let's stop being afraid of what the world is doing and start being people who change the world, right? Someone faithful prayed for me years ago. I, I was very sick. I, I don't know if any of you have ever struggled with a real, like, long-term illness. I was sick for 17 years, something that affected my whole family's life day in, day out. And I went forward, let me tell you, every single time anybody said, come forward for prayer, I went. So maybe hundreds and hundreds of times over 17 years. And I can't tell you, I can't wait to get to heaven to know whose prayer that day, that one day that I, I came forward again and prayed, somebody had faith that day. And the Lord healed me. 17 years of sickness, and now it's been more than 10 of not one day sick. Praise the Lord. Faith moves mountains. Let me, let me remind you something. Two times in the Bible, Jesus was amazed. Look, look this up later. Two times in the Bible, Jesus was amazed. Once was at someone's lack of faith, and once was at someone's great faith. Let's be people who amaze Jesus with our faith in him and watch him move in the lives of our families and our friends and our coworkers. Okay, we gotta be faithful. When we're alive in Christ, we gotta be full of faith. Secondly, we've gotta be prayerful. We gotta be people who actually pray. It's kinda hard to contrast prayer with anything. What is the opposite of prayer? But let me ask you this, do we, do we really pray or do we worry? Because there is a massive difference. <laughs> worry is not prayer. We are very good at worrying. But do we actually pray? Do we just sit and stew and think over people and difficult situations in our life? Do we complain or gripe or fuss or even post like clever and somewhat passive aggressive things on social media? <laughs> or do we pray? We, we have to be disciplined to actually pray, to turn all of those thoughts and all of those 
things that go on in our, our minds and in our hearts, we've got to turn it into prayer. We've got to be disciplined to actually bring it to the Lord because he can do something about it. He's the only one that can. He can move mountains. So pray for your kids. Don't just worry about them. Pray for them. Bring them to the throne of grace. You can do it. Pray for them. Pray for your grandkids. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for the, especially the one that drives you crazy. Pray for them. Regularly, consistently, pray in the Spirit. Are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Pray in the Spirit. Pray with hope and with faith. You've got this. You've got hope and faith. The people that you're praying for often don't. Pray with hope and faith for them. I want to encourage us. I've, I've been around a while now. 30 years I've been a Christian. And when we came in to the, um, into the Assemblies of God, there, it was kind of still the old school days. So it was the early 90s. And, um, you know, we're, we're from the holiness movement. So some of these older saints in our church back then, let me tell you, they knew how to pray. <laughs> wow. Their, their faith was amazing. And their prayer lives were amazing. There was a woman in our church in Huntsville named Sister Scott. I actually, I have no idea what her first name was. It was Sister Sister Scott. <laughs> and she was a wonderful lady. She was way up in her 80s when we first met her. And she lived to be well into her 90s. But I'd, we'd go to her house and visit. And she, she was homebound at the, the last few years of her life. And so she stayed at home all day. And you know what she did? She had a gigantic photo album. It was probably double the width of my Bible. A big photo album. Do you remember the old school ones when we used to actually print out our pictures? <laughs> well, she had a huge one. And every morning when she got up, she started the book. And it was full of people, like pictures of people that she loved and would pray for. Those missionary cards that the missionaries always give us, full of those. And all the way until nighttime when she went to bed. It's making me cry again. Every day she prayed over all of those people. I, I'm afraid we're in danger of losing that. That's such a great heritage that we have of prayer warriors. So I encourage us, let's, let's do that. We can do that. We can pray. There's, there's nothing else that we can do, actually. I'm going to tell you she was homebound, but I'm sure she did more for the kingdom than most of us ever will in our life, just sitting there and praying all day, all day. We've got to pray like we believe that God can and will do something to intervene. Okay, thirdly and lastly, this one is going to take me a minute more to say, but it's, I think the Lord has this for us to hear this morning. Not only do we need to be faithful and prayerful, we need to be peaceful. Hear me, peaceful. So let's, let's contrast, okay, what is the opposite of peace? Interesting. And before you answer, I want to um, show you something in the Bible. Earlier this year, way back before the, the whole virus thing happened. We, went to, we were going to be teaching at a giant student conference where thousands and thousands of students were, which now I wistfully think, remember how we just used to do that without even thinking twice about it? Hopefully, one day, again, we will be able to do that. But, but anyhow, I was preparing to teach a class, and I was using Romans chapter 16 as a, as a preaching point. And that, I don't know if you've ever read that and noticed how incredible that letter, it's the end of a letter, 
and it's where he's saying goodbye to everybody or greet greet everybody. And it's men, it's women, it's people from all over, all different ethnicities and nationalities. It's rich, it's poor. That's the picture of the early church. So, so cool. But um, here's what I read. I, I was just reading through Romans 16, just, you know, going about my day. And have you ever seen this? Romans 16, 20 says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. <laughs> that, that sentence just jumped out at me. What? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. When we think peace, is this what we think? No, that is not what we think. But let me, today what I want to talk about when I'm saying peace is peace is the opposite of war. <laughs> war and strife. Peace is a term, when, when we're using it this way, that only has meaning when it's juxtaposed with its counterpart of strife. We can't understand peace without understanding that the absence of it is war or strife. So we've got to understand that, and we've got to understand that who gets to set the terms of peace? <laughs> the one who wins, right? The person who wins the war declares what is going to be peace. Have you ever thought about that? Here's what I want to show us this morning. This is God, and this is what he does. He is the mighty victor of the war between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of his own glorious light and truth. He alone, God alone, sets the terms of peace. Remember, since that terrible day in the garden, when man and woman disobeyed God, and plunged off that cliff of sin and selfishness, there's been a battle raging for the souls of mankind. The, the prince of this dark world does all he can to kill and steal and destroy and to keep men and women striving and fighting with each other. So deep is the enemy's hatred for God, Satan seeks to keep men and women bound in chains of darkness and oppression. We see, we see that, you can't even go outside of this building for two minutes without seeing this. He seeks the enemy. There is an enemy, and he is real, and he is seeking to keep mankind in perpetual hatred of one another. Can you? That's been this whole entire year. <laughs> he, he's, he's good at it. He keeps us hating each other. And to keep man and God separated forever, that's what the enemy has, has tried to do and has done all of this time, all throughout human history. But hear this, though our sin and selfishness made us God's enemy, God himself fights for us and rescues us. This is why the angel saying, it's almost Christmas time. You go to Walmart, Christmas decorations. It's almost Christmas. So this is why the angel saying on the night of Jesus' birth, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. Let me tell you, when the Messiah was born, the end of the war was near. There's a war raging. <laughs> it's been raging all of human history. But when Jesus was born, when the Messiah came, the end of the war was near. And let me tell you, when Christ was crucified, the death blow was indeed struck, but not to our great God, but to death itself. The war has been won. <laughs> the war is over. The war has been won. Jesus' sacrifice paid the price for our sin and our rebellion, bringing the possibility of peace between man and God again. God is the victor. 
He sets the terms of peace. He said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, these are the terms of peace, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Those are God's terms of peace. He won the war. He obliterated the enemy. Death is done. (laughs) Death, hell, and the grave, no more. Jesus obliterated the enemy. The war is over. The terms of peace are this. Whosoever will. Whosoever will. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Through Jesus' finished work on the cross, peace between God and man is possible again. It was impossible before, but Jesus has made it possible for us to have peace with God and to spend forever with him. Not only that, Jesus' finished work on the cross made it possible for us to have peace with one another and to live together in harmony and unity. (laughs) It's amazing. The war is over, and God graciously invites us, listen, to join him in his peacemaking mission. The terms of peace are whosoever will. God graciously invites us, those of us who are born again, to join him in his peacemaking mission. The battle is won, and now God is patiently waiting, patiently waiting until all of the prisoners of war that will, that can be, are gathered in. That's what this time is, the battle that war is won. Now we're on a peacekeeping mission, gathering as many prisoners of war as we can. This is hard for us to hear. When Jesus first delivered this message, when he was here on earth as a man, this was a revolutionary teaching. (laughs) People walked around and listened to him, and everybody was shaking their heads. What is he saying? What? This is not like any kingdom we've ever heard about. And we still say that today. What? The kingdom of God is utterly utterly different than any other kingdom or system that we see here on earth. We see here the most ruthless or the most powerful or the most wealthy are the ones that make it to the top, right? The person who has the most money or the most weapons or even the loudest voice, those are the people who make it to the top. But Jesus preaches of his kingdom, which is entirely other. To win in his kingdom, you have to lose. (laughs) To live, you have to die. To love, you have to give yourself away. That's the kingdom of God. When we read Jesus' sermon on the mount, the, the beginning of the Beatitudes, those are those are what most theologians would call, or most Bible scholars would call, the, the, the description of kingdom people. Jesus is, is giving us a description of what it looks like to walk with him and to be a part of his kingdom. He says this, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they're the sons, the daughters of God. God is inviting us to be a part of his peacemaking mission. At that same conference I was preparing to preach at, um, I, there was a fellow in the audience. And I, could, I saw him, and then he stood up and gave a testimony before the preaching started. And then when he, really, when he stood up and started talking, it kind of made me laugh because he's, he's our friend's son. We hadn't seen him since he was probably 10 or 11, and now he's 20 or 21. 
But when he stands there and talks, he is hilariously just like his mother and father smashed together. He looks just like them. He talks just like them. There was no mistaking, this is our friend's son. In the same way, in the same way, Jesus said we'll be known as God's children when we do what God has asked us to do with him, and that's make peace. People will know who we are because we're acting like our God, peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. This is our assignment, to go and make disciples of all nations. That's the last thing Jesus said to us before he was ascended back into heaven. We've got to show people how peace with God is possible. We've got to show them that peace with one another is possible, only possible through Christ. That's the only thing that will work. Jesus' work on the cross. So here's the question. We know our mission. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He said, go and issue the terms of peace. Whosoever will can come. That's our job. We know what our job is. So the question this morning is this. Am I a maker of peace? Or am I still someone who looks a whole lot like the rest of the world? Do I properly reflect God as his son or as his daughter? Or do people look at me and just see more of the same old stuff that the world has to offer? What does our church reflect to the watching world? When they look at us, and they are, <laughs> what do they see? What does my marriage reflect to the watching world? What does my family, what do my relationships with the people in my life reflect? Am I fully submitted to God and to his peace? Or not. And if I can't answer that, that I only bring peace and not more strife, then it's time for me to change. If we're to be peacemakers, there's no room in our lives for strife. Let me illustrate this. There, there were two monks, say, long ago in a monastery. And they are living peaceful, harmonious lives. Very highly disciplined. So they don't they want to know what is it like to have strife with someone. So they decide they're going to have a fight just to see what it feels like. <laughs> and so the first one says, okay, we're going we're gonna to fight. We're going to fight over, over this, over this book. We're going to fight over it. Okay, this is my book. You can't have it. And the other guy, you know what he does? Okay. <laughs> that's not a very good fight, is it? But that's the point. The only thing that needs to happen is for one person to, to take the blow, right? This is what we must do as peacemakers. We don't need to be participants in strife with one another. We need to just be the person that says, okay, and let it go. All right. When we take our place as sons and daughters of our king of peace and ri rightly represent him, show the world just what he's like, through our lives. We can look at our church. We can look at our city. We can look at our family. We can look at our friends and our co-workers, and we can say, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. When we live rightly as peacemaking sons and daughters of God, 
we know this is true. The God of peace will soon crush the work of the enemy in your life. God has done the hard work. He saved us and made a way for peace. He has done the hard work. The war is over. It's peacekeeping, gather the prisoners of war time. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's bring peace between man and God, between man and man. Let's live like people who are full of faith, full of prayer, and full of peace. I'm going to invite the worship team to please come on back. Um, we're going to move into a time of communion. What a wonderful way to respond this morning. Our great king has won a great victory, the great victory. All the earth will shout his praise, right? It's our turn this morning. I love, I love to celebrate communion because we know, let's see, it's 1130 in Texas, which means for hours and hours since the sun came up in New Zealand and over the Pacific Islands, Christians all over the world have been gathering together in some way, in, in free nations, in nations where it's illegal to be a Christian. All over the world today, people have been gathering together and doing this in remembrance of our great King. So this morning, as you... Um, have your elements ready. Let's remember. Let's remember what our great king has done. Let's remember what Jesus has done. It's not, we're not alone. We are in a worldwide, an enormous fellowship of people who love and trust Jesus, whose hearts have been changed, whose lives have, who, whose very lives we've been born again because of what Jesus has done. So we take a minute a few minutes and we remember. Lord, we remember what you have done and we look forward, Jesus, to your coming again. Oh, Jesus, come quickly. But in the meantime, Lord, help us to be people who do not keep our, our faith hidden. Lord, help us to be people who are not afraid of this world. You made this world, God. And though there are a lot of evil things loose in it, Lord Jesus, you're, you're in control and we can trust you. Lord Jesus, help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to know you as you really are. Help us to rejoice every day that you have won the war. Your finished work on the cross defeated forever. Death, hell, and the grave. You conquered and vanquished sin. And through your power, God, we can live victorious lives where we are really alive, not just waiting, but living and making a difference in the lives of our family and our neighbors. Lord, help us to be people who are full of faith. God, that we would believe you, believe you are who you said you are, and you're going to do what you said you did are going to do. Lord, you've done a great work in our hearts. We have no reason to doubt that you are going to do a great work in our friends' and family's hearts too. Help us to be people who pray. Lord Jesus, that we wouldn't just worry and stew and, and think, but God, that we pray that we would be disciplined to come to you and talk to you and bring our cares and concerns to you. We can go into the Holy of Holies, God. Help us to be people who actually will go into the Holy of Holies. 
And Lord, help us to be people who bring peace. Lord, forgive us if we just keep on living in our life of strife. God, forgive us. Forgive us. God, help us to turn from that and to be people who live peace and who bring peace and who help other people achieve peace with you, God, to find you, God, and achieve peace with one another.